All right, here we go today. Uh, let's see if we can warm things up with Hebrews chapter number 4. Uh, you know the next logical uh, block of Scripture that we come to is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. can maybe stop it uh, at 10 uh, in order to break this thing out, probably the way it's intended to be done. But I'm going to be honest with you. I just After I got through the first three verses today, uh, this week, my wagon was loaded. And I, I didn't think we could bear any more uh, in the time that we have allotted. So let's just pull this thing down and, and kind of forget what's prim and proper and not try to force all the way through 11 and just do what it is the Spirit's saying in these first three verses. So if you will, follow along as I read verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter number 4. Here we go. Boy, remember now, this is a smart cookie. Uh, this preacher that is writing this book, uh, my money again is on Apollos, but that means nothing because bottom line is it's, um, it's God's word regardless. Here we go. Therefore, verse number 1, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Sometimes the most welcome and delightful words that we can hear are the three little words, take a rest. I mean, who hasn't been to the place in their life where they were physically exhausted, uh, gasping for air, didn't feel like you could go anymore, and lo and behold, somebody grants you the opportunity to take a rest. In my mind, I go back to football days and running wind sprints till you were blue in the face and finishing that and then having to run the stadium bleachers until you felt like your legs were spaghetti. And the most welcome word you could hear from your coach was say, saying, All right, men, take a rest. Uh, you ladies who just came back from Peru, did I hear correctly 40 flights of stairs? After 40 flights of stairs, I guess the most welcome words you could hear were, okay, take a rest. And that's really what this writer is saying to us here, but what we have to do is put in theological context what he means when he tells us in so many words to take a rest. And in order to do this, I mean, we really got to bring our A-game to the table and put on our theological hats and follow this very gifted preacher as he leads us to this conclusion of rest. Because rest is a very theological idea. And as a matter of fact, the rest that he is promoting and telling us to take is founded and finds its basis in God's divine rest. But what does it mean when we say that God rested? But you see, God's not like us. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't get winded. 
He is never out of energy. So the rest that God takes is somehow or another differentiated and distinguished from our rest. Also, we have to ask ourselves, from what did God rest? The Bible says on the seventh day He rested. So from what did He rest and what is the duration of that rest? A lot of folk will say, well, we are still in the seventh day and God is still at rest. But again... Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse number 17, My Father is working. You hear that? And you see the juxtaposition of these two words even in this passage, work and rest? Jesus said, My Father is, is working until now, and I am working also. So here's what we can't do as we come to the table and, and get our minds around this idea of rest that is promised to us. We can't blur the lines between divine rest and human rest, between, between God's rest and man's rest. Whatever we say about rest, it must not oppose either of those ideas. And the same thing is, must be said for the people of ancient Israel. They were God's people. They somehow or another forfeited their rest. So we have got also got to keep the tension between the Old Testament people of God in ancient Israel as opposed to the church today. So there's a lot of tensions pulling against us in order to keep us in the center of the road theologically as we make some, uh, some observations and we derive some principles about this promised rest. And by the way, here's something that we cannot do. We cannot equate this rest to heaven. Because he's not at all saying that the ancient Israelites missed heaven. You've already noticed he has a pattern of talking about what God plans for us in this life and then on the other hand, the life to come. But what he's talking about here when they missed their rest was they missed entering into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, so they missed God's best here. And the inference does not mean that they all went to hell. So we cannot uh, read words like uh, verse number 1 when he says, lest any of you should come short of it. That is not a reference to eternal salvation or damnation or missing heaven. It just means we come short of God's plan, we come short of the rest that God wants to give us in this life. And I don't know about you, but I can stand a little rest. Huh? I mean, for some reason or another, uh, me and Wyatt Johnson, my old bird dog, we've been bachelors since about Thursday because our mama went to St. Augustine to visit grandkids. And for some reason or another this morning, I was wide awake at 2.30. And I tried and tried to force myself to go back to sleep. It wasn't happening. So finally, about 4 o'clock, I got up. Now, guess what I need right now desperately? Uh, you better believe. My old bones are saying, son, <laughs> take a rest. So when I get home, you know that it's going to be one of them Sunday afternoon power naps. It might last all the way to Monday morning. I don't know. So I'm going to take this sermon <laughs> literally, and I'm going to take a rest today. But now let's look at this. Having laid all of that theological road map out, Let's see if we can hold this thing in the center of the road and we see what is it practically that this writer is saying to the people of God today about rest. 
Well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a promised rest. So let's pull several principles. Number one in verse, one, verse number one, I think we can say that rest is a promise that is clearly pictured. So let this picture help define what rest is, what it looks like in our lives today. In order to do that, let's go back and, and look at the context of what ancient Israel missed, what God had planned for them, and what the second generation inherited as they went in and took the promised land. So how is rest clearly pictured in the context of ancient Israel possessing the promised land? Well, I think the first thing we can say is this, that rest is a place where God fills their bellies. Now when I say theirs, I'm talking about the ancient Israelites, right? Now if you'll look at these, the, the, the passage that I have put down here, Numbers chapter 13 and verses uh, 27 and following, maybe down through 29, you'll see the good stuff that Caleb and Joshua and the spies brought back said, look at this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, there were grapes like basketballs and watermelons that you'd have to roll in a wheelbarrow. Uh, it was a place of abundance. Indeed, it's described as a land flowing with milk and honey. So what does that say to us? It says that rest is a place where God filled their physical bellies. But now watch me. In the New Testament, we're not dealing with the physical, are we? We're talking about spiritual realities because you see for the ancient Israelites, rest and, and God's future was comprised of a physical place, the land of Canaan, right? But for us in the New Testament, rest is comprised and it's experienced in a spiritual position and that is in Christ. Physical place in Canaan, Old Testament, spiritual position in Christ in the New Testament. So what is it? What is, the, what is analogous to God filling their bellies with good food while they were in the land of Canaan? Well, I think we can say that God fills His people today, does He not? I mean, just think about how many times and how many references that the New Testament talks about God's people being full. For instance, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, here's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And again, we get over to Ephesians chapter number 5 and we hear words about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So no matter what it is we say rest is, it's a place where you and I are filled. Write this word out beside that point, satisfied. I am satisfied in Christ. You see, when we get to a place where we're satisfied with Christ and Christ alone, uh, uh, Dr. Wilson, uh, his caller ID that comes through on my phone when he calls me says, Christ plus what equals, what is it, Dr. John? Enough. Yeah, Christ plus what? And if there's anything that we have to add to Christ, then listen, we're, we're not resting yet. We, 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 we haven't got there. We're not experiencing God's best because this rest is a place where God fills His people. You know, there's no excuse for a believer to be half full, is there? Really isn't. With all the promises of fullness and being filled in the New Testament, we can see that rest, analogous to ancient Israel, in the New Testament is a place where God fills us. Maybe not our physical bellies, but son, we are filled. But notice number two how rest is clearly pictured in this Old Testament context of conquest in Joshua 23. It's a place where God fights our battles. 
Now check this out. I, th I think we need to go ahead and read that passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter number 23. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Joshua chapter number 23 and verse number 10. Listen to what the Bible says here. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For Yahweh your God is he who fights for you. So here's what rest is. Rest is a spiritual place to which we arrive. And look, you may not, we may never stay there. You ever notice that about rest? You might get there today, but tomorrow you pick up your battle axe again. And you got to put it down. Here's what rest is. Rest is a place where God fights our battles. Now, can I ask you a question? How many of you have battles in your life just raging constantly? Now, who had you rather be fighting those battles, you or him? Huh? I mean, that's a no-brainer, ain't it? But now, here's my tendency. Here's my weakness. Here's what I fight against. Here's what I struggle with. I struggle with my redneck heritage. Can anybody relate to that? Huh? You know what I mean by that. I mean that I feel like I need to fight my own battles. And I'll never forget one time I was in a raging battle in a church scenario. And anytime I get backed up next to the wall, there's a couple of guys I would normally call to get some counsel. One of them is Dr. Craig Connor. So I called Dr. Connor on this particular day and told him what was going on. And I'll never forget what he told me. Here's some advice that I've tucked away in my heart and I wish I could say I live by it. By golly, it's a struggle. Here's what Dr. Connor said. He said, listen to me. He said, I know the battle's raging. And I know the temptation is strong. He said, but you must not defend yourself. He said, the minute you defend yourself, God's going to give you the whole battle and it's yours. He said, but if you'll just stand... And let God be your strong tower. Let God be your refuge. Let God be the one who fights for you. You'll never lose your rest. And guys, I want to tell you, I struggle with that. I do, I do, I do. Richie wants to defend himself, Dane. But i got to quit that. And I confess it and I say I'm not doing it no more. And I'll fly straight for six or seven months. And all of a sudden in a weak moment, here I'll go again. So I need you to help me and I'll help you because life is so much more restful when we throw it in neutral and we let God fight our battles, huh? Number next, know what, notice what else this rest, how this rest is pictured in the Old Testament in the conquest of Canaan. It's a place of fullness of blessings. Here's that word again, fullness of blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 and 11 talks about that, about fullness of blessing. Now let's go from, spirit, uh, from physical place, the land of Canaan, to spiritual position in Christ. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. For you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. How many have you been blessed with? Every one of them. You know, I ask myself sometimes, uh, I, 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 when I'm praying that God will bless somebody, I just hear a still, small voice in my mind of the Spirit of God saying, I already have. Yeah. 
I've already, there's nothing else I can add. I have, I have emptied the treasure vaults of heaven in them. Because I have blessed them with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now look, we're not resting if we're not possessing those blessings. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference. It's possible to have something and not be aware of the fact that you have it. Or it's possible to have something and not know how to use it. I mean, I don't need to give scenarios of this. You know what I'm talking about. But here's what rest is. Rest is when we come to a place where we realize that we have been blessed fully. Huh? And man, that's where I want to get. That's where I want to rest. Instead of chasing after something else, realize that God's already blessed me. I don't understand this theological idea of a second blessing. What the heck do you mean? <laughs> God gave me all there was to get the first time. There's no such thing as a second helping. I mean, fullness of every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. That means if you've been born again, son, he has filled your spiritual bank account. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Notice number next, how else is this pictured in the Old Testament in the context of the land of Canaan? Well, I think we can see it right here in chapter 4 in verse number 1 where we come back to the New Testament and get in our text. It's a place of fear of blowing it. Notice what the writer says in verse number 1. Let me get in my text here in, in Hebrews. Here's what he says. Therefore, let us fear. There's our word. Now look, let's don't get, let's don't get bogged down in his comma splices and his grammar. Here's, how, here's, how, here's what the if pertains to. The if doesn't pertain to if there's a promise remaining, but... The if pertains to this. Let us fear if you may seem to have come short of it. See that? Makes a big difference in, in how that reads. That's what the, the if pertains to the last part, not the part right after it. He's just got a comma in there. So here's what he's saying. This rest that is promised to us is clearly pictured as a place where we have fear of blowing it. And I don't mean we live paralyzed by fear. It means we're just consciously reverent of the fact that God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing. He has a great plan for my life. He's marked me out and destined me for spiritual rest. But if I'm not careful, I can blow it. I can blow it. I'll never forget in 2015, Dane remembers this well. Heather and I had been in Brazil working with the Quilombola since 2007. And it was in 2000, first 2016 when we were invited to come home and teach mission students at, at uh, Baptist University of Florida. And um, I got it right, didn't I, brother? Um, and man, listen, we were, we were up here on a peak at reaching Quilombolas at that time. I mean, we were on the top of the mountain. And we had Dane and Cheryl there, and I felt good about leaving with Dane and Cheryl, but we had several other brand new missionaries. You remember that, Dane? Just coming on board. And here was my final word when I left. I said, listen, God's doing great things here. He is knocking the top out of just what we want to see happen. So here's your missionary responsibility. You remember what I told him, Dane? Don't blow it. That's right. Don't mess it up. And sometimes that's our biggest assignment. It's not to add to or help him. It's just, by golly, to stay out of his way and don't do something boneheaded and mess up the good plans that he's bringing into fruition. 
You ever start and thought about that? Maybe my biggest responsibility is just don't blow it. I feel like that all the time with Grace Church. I mean, look around and look what God's doing here. I mean, Dr. John came in this morning and went to digging out more chairs because last Sunday we had an, a, 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 an Easter quantity of people in our service. And Dr. John's figuring, look, we're going to have 250 here in a couple weeks. We better start getting ready. And all I can think of is let's don't blow it. My goodness, something's going on here. And I've had folk this week call me who were working in Baptist work in the state of Florida and they were asking questions about Grace Church and it finally dawned on me why they're asking questions. Now look, this is not prideful. I'm just telling y'all, this is why we need to have this type of fear of blowing it. Because here's what Grace Church is doing. Watch me. Grace Church is one of the only ones in Baptist landscape around here that is not declining or plateaued. Grace is doing this. And just about everywhere else you look, it's this or it's this. And I pray all the time, dear God, keep us in the center of the road and keep us from doing something boneheaded to blow what it is that you've already started. Man, that's our, that, that might be our greatest responsibility in this thing. You know it? And when we get to that place, Jerry, we realize that we can rest because God's doing this. I'm not. Huh? I had a preacher friend one time. His wife caught him down in the town where he pastored by the railroad track. He was just standing down there at daylight watching trains go by. She walked up and said, Honey, are you okay? He said, yeah, he said, I'm just enjoying something run through this town that I don't have to push. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I mean, I've felt like in ministry before that I'm pushing a boulder uphill all the time. And if I don't get it to the top of the hill, it's about to roll back over me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but by golly, listen to me. God is doing this. Nobody can claim any part of this. God is doing what's happening at Grace Church. So I say we need to live right here where this author's addressing what he's hitting. Let us fear lest we blow it. My goodness. All right, check out number, number next. Rest, number one, is a promise that's clearly pictured. But number two, rest is a promise that is perpetual. Perpetual. Now look, let me show you where this is. Notice with me in verse number one. Therefore, let us feareth while a promise remains. Do you see that, that word remains underlined? So I, I was reading it this week in the original language. I said, wait a minute. That's, that's a passive. It's a passive verb. So here's how it would be translated. It's a present passive and it would be translated if while a promise is left. While a promise is left. So here's the picture, Caleb. Uh, Tiffany's talking about putting a yes on the table. Here's what God has done. Look, here's the table. You know what God's done? He has left a promise on the table. And it's almost as if He's saying, here it is. The promise is left. It's left. God left it there. And just as if I put a $100 bill on this table and said, there it is. There it is. It's left on the table. What do you have to do to possess that thing? I'm going to get up and get it, right? And that's the word picture that, 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 that 
the Spirit has given us by using this passive verb. The promise is there. It's there. Hey, if we don't have it, it's not because it's not available. If we don't have it, it's not because God hasn't provided it or left it there for us. It's left there. Heard a story one time about this college student. Went off to college and his mama said, Son, take your Bible with you. Keep it in your dorm room. Read it every day. He would come home and she would say, Son, are you reading your Bible? Yes, ma'am, I'm reading my Bible. By the way, Mama, I need some lunch money for next week. Son, are you reading your Bible? Yes, I'm reading my Bible. For six months, you know what that Mama had done? Put money in the Bible. It was left there. All he had to do was pick up the book and read it, and he had lunch money provided. And she knew when he was asking for lunch money, he ain't took the promise. Huh? That's exactly right. So here's what I say, Grace Church. It's not selfish at all to want to take everything that God's left for you. <laughs> hey, it's kind of like, kind of like Santa Claus. You remember you used to leave cookies, out, cookies and milk out for Santa Claus? <laughs> Santa Claus eat every one of them, wouldn't he? <laughs> That's what I found. He didn't leave no milk and cookies. You left it for Santa Claus, he's going to eat it, huh? So look here, God's left it for us. It remains. It is left on the table. So the promise is before us today. Only question is, are we going to take it? Number next, rest is a promise that's clearly pictured. Rest is a promise that is perpetual. And then in verse number 2, we see that rest is a promise that is profitable. Look what he says in verse number 2 of Hebrews chapter 4. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us. See, he's making this analogy here between them and us. Them and us. Old Testament, New Testament. Look what he does. Just as they also, but the word they heard, and here's our word, did not profit them. Now, the word profit, you know what it means? That's exactly right. It means, it means to have a significant increase. A significant increase. I mean, when you do a job for somebody, you're not doing it for cost, are you? You've you got to have some profit. I mean, you can't work for cost very long before you're out of business. You've got to have some gain. And you see, that's what this writer is describing. He's saying that when the Word is preached to us and it's united in us by faith, then we profit. You know what that means? That means there's significant advancement in our lives. There's significant progress that's made. There's significant gain to be had. So I have to ask myself the question, is God's Word profiting me? Am I further down the road today than I was this time last month? Am I farther down the road today than I was this time last year. And if not, I have to say the same thing about myself and said about those Old Testament folk who came short of the promise, and that is it did not profit because it was not united by faith. So here's the thing. When the Word is preached, I mean, it's not like it happens by osmosis. Just hearing the Word isn't good enough. It's when we hear the Word, we say, yes, that is truth. 
and the Spirit testifies that is truth and we take that word and we put it into application in our life and when we do that, guess what we do? We take a huge step toward profit. We get farther down the road. We have significant gain in our lives spiritually. Check out number next. Got to run here. Rest is a promise that is profitable. But I think verse 2 also tells us that rest is a promise that is possessable. Look, God's not holding a carrot in front of our nose that we can't reach. He hadn't left a promise on a table that's so high that we can't get up and get it. That's not what He does. This is very possible and it's very possessable, this promised rest that God has offered us. Notice verse number 2 says this. It says, It did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. See that word faith? It's also translated in other portions of the Scripture as trust. As trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. We're going to come to that in Proverbs very soon. Huh? That's what it means. It means just like you're sitting in that chair today, you have implicit trust that when you plop your 102 pounds down in that chair... that that chair was going to hold you, right? Now look, you can say, I believe that chair will hold me all day and never sit in it. But that's not, that's not biblical trust and faith. Biblical trust is when you say, I believe that chair will hold me, and you plop down in it. That's, that's trust. So what type of response is required if we're going to have this possessable promise? Well, I think, number one, we can say a trusting response is required. A trusting response. That means... I don't lean to my own understanding, but I trust in the Lord with all my heart and what He said, and I put my full weight. Do you realize that that's what we're doing with our eternal soul? We are putting uh, the full weight of our eternal soul on what God has said. And by golly, if this isn't what God has said, we're all people most miserable. But we're safe because this is what God said. Now notice two things I want to bring out here I think that pertain to rest. A a trusting response is required. And the first thing is trust in His cross. I mean, isn't that primary? Trust in His cross ends our work for salvation. Oh, there's one rest right there. Man, don't you feel sorry for folk that are trying to earn favor with God by doing good works? Huh? Muhammad Ali's widow said about him, you know, because he converted to Islam. Islam is a works-based religion. You must do, you must do, you must do. And in his last days, Muhammad Ali's wife said he was tormented in his soul because he didn't think he had done enough good deeds to get into heaven. And I can assure you he hadn't. Cannot. It's impossible. Good works don't take care of our sin problem. Only the cross does that. Man, don't you feel sorry for Jehovah's Witnesses who read the New Testament through perverted lenses and they think they have to work and earn their salvation? Look, this is not how it works. And this this is American theology right here. When you die, you're going to stand before God. God's going to add up everything good that you did on this side of the balance, everything bad you did on this side of the balance, and whichever way it tilts is going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Friend, that's what the devil wants us to believe. That never works. Working for salvation is a miserable, pathetic life. 
But listen, we don't just need to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. There are a lot of good Baptists who think that Jesus was good enough to get them in, but they got to work to stay there. Huh? That is not rest. And I'm telling you, your soul will be vexed and you will be exhausted and burned out spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically because that doesn't work. So trust in His cross ends our work for salvation. But check out number next. Trust in His care ends our worry over our situation. Hey, have you ever heard the scripture? Do not be anxious for nothing. Worry for nothing. What what does worry add to your life? Jesus asked his disciples. You can worry all you want. And you won't gain one inch in height. And you can't add one minute to your life by worrying. You cannot. But here's what Jesus said. He said, look at the lilies of the field. Look how God dresses them. He said, consider... The birds of the air. Notice how God feeds them. Man, can I tell you when we get to a point to where we just trust that God's going to take care of it. Now listen, that doesn't mean you quit work. No, that's not what it means. It means we do everything we can and God does what we can't do. But here's the thing. God has promised His providential care to His people. And by golly, a life of worry and anxiety is incongruent with rest. That's not restful at all. There is no such thing as a fretful, trusting person. Either you're fretting or you're trusting, but you ain't both. And you can turn that around also. There's no such thing as a trusting, fretful person. It works both ways. One cancels the other out, you see. So, Trust in God's providential care ends our worry for our situation. Here's what I want to say to you. I don't know what you're going through today, but I'm telling you God's got it. He's got it. Not only does He have that, He's got you. (laughs) And if that's not the case, then by golly, we need another God, right? But I'm telling you, the Bible says we have a God who is sovereign, in control. Not one thing takes Him by surprise. God never discovers anything through observation. Never learns anything. He knows it all. He knew it all. And he's got it all firmly under control. Check out number next. Not only is a trusting response required, but I think this passage tells us that a timely response is required. Look what he says. He says, today, today as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest and that that word today has come up over and over because it's in this text that he quotes so it's something that we do today God speaks we obey God speaks we trust and when we get that transaction down that's when we begin to enter into his promised rest now check out these last two and we're going to be done not only is rest a promise that is possessable But rest is a promise that is progressive. Look with me in verse number 3. Verse number 3, he says this. For we who have believed. You see that first word, believed? Underline it. Notice the tense of it. In the original language, it's what's known as an aorist tense. It's punctiliar action. It means you believed. You believed. 
It refers to that time when the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin. You realized you were a sinner. You realized there was nothing you could do to save yourself. He pointed you to Calvary's cross. You placed your faith in the finished work of what Jesus did on Calvary. By golly, you believed. That happens one time. One time. And it's done. Now look, that first one is an heiress. That one time. Those of us who have what? Believed. Now look at the next one. Enter. You know what that is? That is a present tense. And here's how it can be translated. Those, who, those of us who have believed past are presently entering into that rest. Do you see that? It's not, it's not like going into a room where you open a door, walk in, close a door behind you. Rest is something that every day we are entering into because we have believed. We take another step deeper into the land every day. It's progressive, it's progressive, it's progressive till eventually we get to the heart of it and by golly we know what it means to rest. It's progressive. Those who have believed are presently and continually entering into that promised rest that He has given us. Check out number next. And don't close me out now. You know I got here quick for a reason. I want to go all the way back to verse number 1 with this last principle that we're deriving about rest. And here it is. Not only is rest a promise that is progressive, but rest is a promise that is perceptible perceptible you know we hear all the time well you can't ever tell who's saved and who's not saved where do you get that from I'll tell you where we get it from we get it from our cultural Christianity that says you can bow your head and pray a prayer and live like hell for the rest of your life and then go to heaven when you die I think that's where we get that from but the New Testament says over and over and over again that salvation is something that is perceptible. Now notice what he says here in verse number 1. Check this out. He says in verse number 1, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering, you see there's that present continual right there again, of entering his rest, and here's what we fear, if any one of you, that's plural. So he's saying, Grace Church, let us fear lest any one of us who named the name of Christ and composed the body of Christ as Grace Church. Let us fear lest any one of you, any one of us, may seem, underline those two words, may seem. You see, this is where this writer is telling us you can look and you can get a good idea of whether somebody has entered this rest or whether they haven't. So he said, let us fear. Unless one of you may seem, and here's what he says, to have come short of it. Oh yeah, so it is. It's very perceptible. As a matter of fact, I mean, you can just, you can just know that somebody is not entering into his rest if they're working themselves to a frazzle trying to gain favor with God. Somebody has not entered into that rest if they're anxious and are worried about every little thing in life. They've not entered into that rest. They may seem to have come short of it. Now here's what's so cool about it. May seem to have come short. Underline those words, may seem to have come short. I brought my Greek New Testament with me today. 
Because I want to read this to you. I, I, I want to give you the original language or the original word, and you tell me what you think modern English word derives from this ancient Greek word. This translated may come short. Here it is. It's the word. Hysterake. Did you get it? Listen again. Hysterake. That is a part of it, but it's even more, more basic than that. Hysterectomy comes from this idea. Say it again, Heather. Gold star for my wife. Listen to it. Hysterake. Hysterical. Hysterake. Hysterical. Do you see the connection between those two words? We get our modern word, hysterical, from this word, hysterike, which our translators of English translate that may have come short of it. But the word, here's what it means. Unless someone may appear to be, what is hysterical, out of control. Out of control. They have an undisciplined life. They can't hold it together. They're emotionally frazzled. They're high one day, they're low one day. There's just no control, there's no order, there's no pattern, there's none of that in their life. So this writer is saying this. He's saying, let us fear lest some of you appear to be out of control. You see, because here's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23, 24 that one of the flavors of the fruit of the Spirit is this. Say it, Jerry. Gold star for both Jerry's today, huh? <laughs> self-control. And without self-control, look at here, there's no way we're going to enter into that rest. Guys, I, I can't think of anything that folk in our world need more than rest. Just contentment of soul. I am satisfied with Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. I told you already they're saying that, that tired drivers are responsible for more fatalities on the road than drunk drivers these days. It's because we have worked ourselves to a frazzle. And this writer tells us, hey, take a rest. Take a deep breath and take a rest. So I have to ask myself, Rich, do you appear to have hysterike? Come short of it because you're out of control. And if I am, I'm off target and I won't hit the appointed destination that God has for my life and you won't hit the target that God has for your life. So in Jesus' name, let us fear while a promise remains of entering into his rest. Church, let's don't blow it because whatever he's got in front of us is so much better than what we're experiencing today. There's just absolutely no comparison. Let's stick with the stuff in the center of the road. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the rest that you promise us. And God, would you help us be a little different than those ancient Israelites? Would you help us Unite the word by faith in our hearts. 
And God, would you help us be steadily and progressively every day entering into your rest, making significant strides. So God, we put Grace Church in your hands by faith and God, our position is almost hands off. This is your work. This is what you're doing. And God, in Jesus' name, just help us not get in your way and blow it. So God, would you give us rest this day. I pray for those who are here that have never been born again. God, you're calling them to rest that Jesus gives to His people. I pray, God, today's the day that they take that promise off the table. I pray for those who are here today that are just going through hard times, difficult situations, and God, today you've spoken a word into them that's going to calm them, give them control and a clear perspective and end their worry over their situation. But God, whatever you've done today, may you be glorified by our response, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.